Hello and welcome to episode 117 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray in charge of the equipment as we return from an accidental month-long break to once again explore the golf roads less travelled. Things have been hectic since our last episode with Richard Gillis, not only for the Good Good team, but the golf world in general. Hopefully we've remedied the good, good side of things, which we'll talk about in a moment. No doubt we'll discuss the golf world stuff as well. On today's show, we're turning the spotlight away from happenings on the world stage to matters more local, and a golfer who's set himself the mission to play every public golf course in Sydney. Ewan Porter, yes, that Ewan Porter, along in a moment to chat about that. But first, to my regular co-host Adrian Loke, who I see from Twitter, joined Ewan on the journey yesterday at Woodville. Anything you'd like to crow about, Loke? Uh, not particularly, no. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Woodville, I'm sure, when we get into it. But yeah, uh, didn't you have a victory? Can I read on Twitter? Oh, you sorry, had a bit okay, of a victory. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I teamed up with you and actually, <laughs> and exactly right. And we beat uh, one of our other co-hosts today, and uh, Warren Smith, which was yeah, very satisfying. Was yeah, was it the yeah the war by the end yeah. four? I think it's been tagged. Yeah. <laughs> Not for the first time and not for the last time here on Good Good, we're going to be visiting the fountain next to the Fountain of Youth, between the Fountain of Youth and the Fountain of Age, where we'll find Golf Australia Magazine Deputy Editor Jimmy Emanuel. Jimmy, welcome. Not just today, but most weeks from now on, you are going to be the solution to the problem of me being too busy too often to make life easy enough for Logue to co-host a podcast. I look forward to uh, taking your dictatorial <laughs> reins of good good in the future. Very excited to be here. Yeah, lucky you get caught between me and Logue. What a place to be. Nowhere I'd rather be in the golf world. Yes, indeed. Finally, to our guest today, apologies for the long wait while we took care of the housekeeping. Good to have you along, Ewan. Good to be here, Rod. Very illustrious company. <laughs> that's one word for it. First question has to be why? Every public golf course in Sydney, that's quite the mission. It is. I returned to Sydney where I grew up probably 18 months ago now. And uh, I mean, it's more just a return to my roots. Uh, why did I start playing the game? Just because I loved it. I didn't care where I played. Um, and I think too many people, certainly in my position, that get to an elite, a fairly elite level, whether they're amateur or, or professionals, uh, you start to look for a little bit too much from golf courses and the game of golf in general. So to be able to return to uh, the golf courses that I grew up playing and uh, and why I started playing the game simply because I loved it has been fairly therapeutic, to be honest. We're all guilty of being too distracted by the stuff that doesn't matter about golf courses, aren't we? The quality of the turf and how fast the greens are and why are the bunkers well ranked. And none of that's really they're, – they're the trimmings, aren't they? Of- I, I'm, in, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I got to a point when I was playing on tour 10, 12 years ago where if I didn't have – Pro-Vs or the best Callaways on the practice range, I'd be filthy. <laughs> and now I'm using golf balls 10 times worse than that when I actually play a round of golf. You, you in the, are you on the Ballada train? Are you one of those? Uh, yeah, I pulled them out yesterday. I had the – what did I have yesterday? Oh, no, it was the Precept EV Extra Spin yesterday. Oh. I was saying to was <laughs> I've got 10 or 12 dozen Ballatas at home, but I'm scared to use them. Oh, they're like gold, aren't they? They are. Everyone you lose design. is one less in the world because they're not making them anymore. They're yellowing a bit in yeah. colour. They're losing their compression, but uh, boy. You've got to get them gone. in the freezer, don't you? Is that- Scott Hayes controls the global oh, he does. That's price yeah, he does. market. He's got an Aladdin's cave up there. I'm sure there's a secret door in his garage that opens up to the real stuff, and his garage <laughs> is bad enough. So There were some Ballatas for sale in the pro shop yesterday at Woodville. What were they? Behind the counter. I think he might have had some B-51s. There was a little box in the corner. How much? I didn't ask. 
But B51 we'll had a Bellato. I knew they had a small one. I think one. so. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember. But Ewan's getting in the car to go straight back out there before this is published oh, yeah. and somebody else <laughs> gets all over <laughs> Indeed. Aubrey was with me, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. He'd have a fair stash too, wasn't it? Wouldn't he? Every time he goes to Brisbane, I think he goes to Scott Hayes' place. And yeah. Up, uh, well, was is like a legend out Guildford Way as well. So well, he was in his he natural is. environment, but he still couldn't get us over the line to win. So <laughs> what too, good was he? Too distracted by the crowds and the paparazzi. You mentioned putting Ballardas in the freezer. I think I've told this story before. When I worked in the Wollongong Bureau at News Limited, we did a story on a kid down there. This was in the mid-'80s who was a golf – liked his golf and whatnot. He'd found a Ballarda ball on the course, and someone had told him it was a bit out of shape. But if you put them in the microwave, oh. <laughs> they'll go back into shape. So he puts it in the microwave and, of course, opens up the microwave, pulls it out, and it explodes in his face. He's got a busted nose and a black eye. It was quite nasty. Anyway, so we did a story of him you know, looking forlorn with his face, you know, and the poor kid. He, I got this phone call at the office from a radio station in Kentucky who wanted to talk to him. They'd seen the paper, they'd seen the story of the wires somewhere on the newsman of wires, and they wanted to talk to him about it. They thought it was a bit of a fun story. That's all right. I put him in touch with him. Two weeks later, this box of golf balls arrives at the Hong Kong office of News Limited for this kid from some American. These poor children who can't afford proper golf balls, can you please pass them on for him? I didn't. <laughs> I think I'd done enough, don't you? Yeah, put it in the microwave and it exploded in his face. Jeez, Jumbo Wasaki used to do that before he played, didn't he? Yeah, the guys used to heat them up. That's right. Yeah. Have um, those uh, hand warmers in your pocket next to the golf ball, heat them up and they go further. It was always the yeah, always yeah. the talk. I'm interested, you and in the well, is it epiphany a too strong a word? I guess I kind of alluded to it there. We get to this point in golf where you know you expect this, that, and the other. This full circle idea. I'm interested in the golf journey of that because hard to go from the peak for most people to come back. Most guys in your position say, "Well, I'm not playing the tour anymore. That's it. I'll just stop playing, or I'll only yeah. play at the Oz or the Lakes when I get invited, or that sort of thing." Yeah, and look, I mean, I when I stopped playing, I uh, which was 2013, I worked at a brewery in Montana for about nine months, and I didn't touch a club during that period. And I, I think you were going to say you didn't touch a drop. I was going to say unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely not the case. Um, yeah, look, I think I went through that period when I stopped playing, where I didn't want anything to do with golf again. But uh, once I started dabbling back in the industry from a broadcasting perspective a few years ago, I think I realised that golf gave me this opportunity. Um, to be able to do this, and uh, I think I got on the grateful train. There was some some gratitude there to, uh, to, to you know, what I was allowed to um, do because I'd experienced just simply hitting a golf ball and playing golf around the world. And, uh, yeah, I think slowly but surely uh, I started returning, like I said, to what made me enjoy the game to begin with because I started hating it. I really started hating the game and it was simply because I put too much pressure on myself and I didn't have enough outlets away from golf. So I was just consumed by golf all the time. And like I said, it's just basically led to where I am now. Easy thing to happen for a pro. Have you been surprised by this change in yourself? Yeah, well, I, did, I didn't I did foresee it coming. It's not something I, I planned on. It's just been a part of the journey. And uh, I think the other great part about it is days like yesterday at Woodville. I, I get to play with mates. Um, I get who, and who, low. And low, uh, who, uh, who, you know, who, who get to experience the journey with me. And I think a lot of the people that I've played with, um, have maybe not got on the, on the bandwagon to the same extent that I have. But, um, I think it's made them sort of realize that they enjoy the game too. They don't need to look for as much out of it as what they thought. Can we also answer the eternal question? How would a tour pro go at my little golf course that I play at? 
How do you go at these courses? Are you ripping them up? Have you question. Have you shot over sixty yet? Absolutely not. Well, I, I, I think a golf course like Bardwell Valley, for example, there was a pro-am there when I was about 21 or 22 years old and you had Lucas Parsons, Peter O'Malley play, I think two under won it. Mm. And I played there less than 12 months ago and played all right. Now, bear in mind I was using retro clubs, but I played all right. I think I would have had about four over. I mean, a lot of these courses, the greens are like 10-cent pieces. You can't keep a ball on the fairway. They're 10 metres wide. You're all, you always end up in the trees. You're always missing greens. I think they're much harder to score on than a than a lakes or a, the Australian, for the, example. The dodgy lies around the green. Dodgy lies, yeah. just yeah. be dodgy, dodgy, yeah. dodgy lies on the You were on sixty nine watch for a couple of holes there. <laughs> sixty nine, yeah, that was, was outstanding. Yeah. What's the par at Woodville? Sixty eight. Uh, who knows? Seventy two, actually. <laughs> I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember caddying at the senior PGA. It was Aussie senior PGA two years in a row. One year was at Kalara. One year was at Gordon. The scores at Kalara were so much better than Gordon. Like, Gordon was impossible for these guys. Like, I grew up playing Gordon Golf Club. Mm. What was the first set of clubs there? That really is growing up. And it's impossibly hard to score. Like, guys, like, Ports yesterday has a few birdies here and there, but his scoring's not helped by changing drivers and, you know, changing <laughs> golf balls and hitting everyone else's driver every other hole. But, yeah, it's uh, those sort of golf courses are almost harder to score, I think. Harder to score. Easier to play, but harder to score. Harder, you're, never, yeah. you're, never, you're never stressed out. You're never hitting shots until the 18th at Woodville where you sort of got to think about it really, what you're going to do. Mm. But it doesn't mean you're going to you know, light it up. And I mean, harder to hold putts too. I mean, oh. a two-foot putt, you're aiming two foot outside the hole. That's right. Probably why you're missing the Mewen. Just, just a thought. Give that some. Uh, you got to, you, you got to figure out which footprint. <laughs> size, the size twelve or the size, uh, the size fifteen. How was Woodville yesterday? And what's the role of a place like Woodville in the game, Logue? Woodville is surprisingly good. It's not a nice. So, it, Western Sydney. Yep. Um, which is sort of. It's not Eastern Sydney, is it? It's not the it's not the salubrious part of town. Jeez, West, no, West, that was West. impressive geography. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I'm saying. So, so it's, it's not the, the lakes or that sort of thing. It's a real public golf course, isn't it? That's right, and it's uh, very basic. There's no irrigation. There's no drainage to speak of. It's Sounds just like you get what you get, and it's a real mix of grasses. But the turf conditions were actually pretty good yesterday. Um, I imagine in summer it really bakes out and gets. Mm. Dusty and yeah. um, really firm, but not not firm necessarily in the good way. And there's no vegetation management, so the tree Warren played there as a kid uh, or growing up, but said it's much more enclosed now, and the corridors are a lot narrower. But it's actually a pretty good piece of land. It's sort of rolling property. It's bigger than a lot of tier one metropolitan courses in Sydney, um, and uh, it's just got these little discs of greens uh, because there's been absolutely no intent in the architecture on any part of the golf course. So there's this every single green is just a, circle. Just a little circle about t- like 20, 30 mil off the ground with a few humps around it. And yeah, it was. No bunkers, if I'm not mistaken. Two. There's two, two bunkers, bunkers because there's one new hole. They had to, the council had right. to move one green away from a building. So that was the only thing I think they understood about golf is like we need to get some bunkers. We've seen it on the TV. No, no, just that <laughs> there's balls going into this car park, so we need to move something like that. I think that was the extent of the council's but, understanding fair, of golf. But then they see that they make a little bit of money out of it, and they've kept it open for a long, long time. Was it busy? Is the question? It, not not yesterday, yesterday, no. But to be fair about the property, and you say the council moving play away from that building. It doesn't run up and back next to each other very often, and it doesn't actually go very close to the roads on any of those holes. It's actually pretty safe and protected, which is rare for public golf courses mm. in Sydney. A lot of them are places where now, with how hard even average golfers can hit it with driver, 
there's danger everywhere. There's none of that there because it is a big property and there's, you know, it, it goes to all points of the compass. There's a lot and of it's actually designed by Al Howard, which oh, yes. really yes. shocked me. But <laughs> I don't know how much the Greens are still like what Al did or if- well, He was a great complainer, Al. I mean, he did if the, maybe he never went there. I don't know. Yeah, he, it sort of went, that's the size of the property. Let's it, put this here. He but. did the springs up near Mangrove yep. Mountain where I used to be a member. And the last time I saw him, which was probably about 10 or 15 years ago, because the springs had a very checkered history. It sort of opened nine and then it closed again and it got sold and it got bought. And anyway, they ended up finishing the 18 holes. But- he would have been 90, I reckon, 91, something like that. And I mentioned the springs to him and he went ballistic. I've got to go back up there and fix it. He said, they've ruined it all. Somebody sent me some pictures and it wasn't what I desired. It's like, ow, ow, ow. It's all right, mate. You're 91. Oh, I hate if you brought up Woodville. What do you say? <laughs> I don't know. Yes, maybe, mate. He did a lot of courses, didn't he, Al? Oh, around the prolific. 90, 100 courses around yeah, regional like New South Wales yeah. and all over sort of Sydney. What, what purpose does it serve Woodville, Jimmy? It's important, is it not? We get carried away with golf courses and architecture, and it's a fabulous interest to have, and it's a wonderful topic to discuss, but it doesn't really touch on the reality of what golf needs, is it? Which is places for people to play, which is exactly. what Woodville is. Yeah, it's golf. It's it's a place to go and play golf and there's 18 holes in the ground, there's 18 tees, which is really necessary. I mean, I'm similar to you in that having played a lot as a younger guy and then completely oh, almost the stopped. There it is. Younger, still young. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I I was a junior member at the Australian. I, I spent a lot of time at really nice golf courses and because of what I do for a living, I spend my time at really nice, good golf courses. So that's you know, was primarily where I was playing and I just didn't enjoy it. And then you and doing this and I go out and play a fair few of these places, I really enjoy it. And it's perfect for what we did yesterday, just playing and having fun. Good you know, the, the the quality of the golf course and the architecture did not impinge on any of the enjoyment we had yesterday, no. which is a great reflection of what Woodville is to golf. It's a place where you can go and play and have fun. Whereas, uh, you know, there's there's other places probably – a little bit better but not quite to the best where it might actually have a negative effect because there's it's influencing the play a bit more and it's making everyone or a, a positive effect too. Yeah, or a positive effect too, for sure. Absolutely. Complimented by, by but, where you play. Yeah, it's 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 a necessary part of golf and the people that were out there were a bit of a mix. There wasn't many, like we said, but there was a couple of young guys out there who were not good but were loving every minute of it. There's a couple of older people and everything like that. And so yeah, and it's next to a, a, a pub that's got a social golf club, so for the community that's there, I'm sure it's an outstanding asset. More of a tavern than a pub. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike most of the golf industry, you and it sounds like it kind of makes sense, Woodville. I think Jimmy, uh, yeah, I think Jimmy put it very well. And look, don't get me wrong, I love playing the yes. New South Wales and the Australians, yeah. but let's be honest, it's it makes up a very niche portion of of the people who play golf. Right, the the majority of the people who play golf. Go to Woodville, go to Gordon, go to Lane Cove, go to Mangrove Mountain, of course. Um, so it's good to be it's good to be back amongst that community. Um, and and basically, the, you know, the quirky holes that we play at a lot of these golf courses, they're the ones that are memorable. They're the ones that we that we talk about. And, and you know, a lot of golf courses tend then the better ones tend to have a lot of unmemorable holes, a lot of fairly mundane holes. And, uh, you know, really, at the end of the day, what are we looking for? We're looking for the enjoyment out of the game of golf. And uh, like I said, you know, Jimmy, Logue, myself, we'll talk about yesterday for a while, was there as well. Um, and still a lot of things that I remember about going and playing the, the Bardwell Valleys and the Lane Coves. And uh, it's trying to find that right balance between playing those and then playing the really good courses as well. Would the golf business be better off as a whole if more people in it? did that sort of thing a bit more often. One of the things that happens when you get into golf is you kind of do tend to gravitate, as Jimmy said, towards the nicer places and the resorts, the places that are spending money on magazine advertising and all those kinds of things. 
you kind of forget, don't you, once you're in the industry, you drift away from it. Yeah, well, we're seeing it south of the border too, right, mm. with uh, what's going on at Northcote Golf Course mm. down in Melbourne. And I know Sandy Jamison, uh, he's been a big advocate of, of public golf. And uh, absolutely, there's no question about it. It's It's been a little bit of a global movement, hasn't it, over the last couple of years, really, since COVID to, to get back to your roots and, and play public golf. And uh, yeah, there's a... There's a huge need for you, it. You mm. can do both, people. By the way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, fancy absolutely. club yeah. and then occasionally yeah. go and play. Did and you see the kid that had the hole in one at Northcote? Yeah, yeah, yeah nine years old. I love how he cried. Went global. Like, broke out in tears. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still waiting to have one, so I'll probably send cry him, when I do it. Ship nuck. Send him a dozen of golf balls. It, <laughs> I'll send him the dozen that I got from the people in Kentucky. I, I would <laughs> say public facility brings into focus that public facilities are a little bit overcrowded already, though, and which is like there's they can't keep up with demand and. So um, why are people so keen to close them? Exactly. So it, it's that's I think we need to continue to lend support to public golf, both by playing and by advocating for more access to public golf, uh, or have more facilities have have public tea times. Because ironically, private courses are quite busy during the week. Yeah, you know that. Like yeah, and uh, public courses are often. Empty oh. during the week, which yeah. is really ironic. So I don't know, changing the shifting the demand around so that the right days get the right people on them. Um, you can maybe work work out a better solution there. So people in private clubs go play some public golf during the week. And on, on that note, obviously running the Adidas Junior Sixes Tour, I've put together the 2023 schedule and. I've basically contacted. And we've got a great schedule, great golf courses Woodville, on there. Manco, Manco. Uh, yeah, don't <laughs> yeah, don't forget Barnwell Park. Um, the the golf courses that aren't on there, I've contacted every golf club, every prominent golf club you can imagine in Australia, and more than half the time, what I hear back from the directors of golf and the general managers is just there's just no room, can't do it. The demand for tee times is too strong. We can't look until at least 2024. Crazy, isn't it? A bit dangerous for an industry, isn't it, to be kind of that sort of healthy? We ha- we had this in golf in the eighties and nineties, and then we saw the drop off and what that did to a lot of clubs. We seem to be back to it. I wonder if we're doing differently to what we did in the eighties well, and nineties yeah, I mean, to make sure that that remains the same. That's, that's a bigger question. But. That's always the risk with the golf industry that it's boom or bust, and people don't plan for what happens after the boom. Which is, I think, that's definitely the case with which, this pandemic. Which but. is what's happened before and what needs to be happening now. And you know, talking to a few people, and what are you doing? You know, to future proof yourself a little bit because this isn't going to last forever. No, uh, you know, everyone's going to, everyone is starting to play their other sports. Everyone's getting busier going back to the office. You know, kids have got things on again. So, you know, golf is going to fall back like it always has. Hopefully, there's more people who maintain that joy and love of it that they've found in COVID, but. You know, future-proofing the golf courses and the and the and the clubs to be still strong after this is important. So, we're in the media business, Jimmy. Are we not doing a good enough story uh, job of telling the story of golf as part of communities? What you just outlined at Woodville there is more than just about golf. It's got the tavern next door and the social golf club. We hear from the other side, for want of a better term, that golf just takes up a bunch of space that the community could use for other stuff, as though golf isn't a part of the community, but it is. Are we just not doing a good job of telling it or is the problem that we have our own media and we talk to ourselves? Yeah, I mean, we largely talk to ourselves. I, I There's occasional times you get cut through when you do like what I do and work for a golf publication uh, through the websites and stuff like that. Now that it gets picked up elsewhere and social media helps that, but people aren't going to be served with content about golf if they're not a golfer from a golf place. You know, they, they get it from more mainstream sources, newspapers and all that sort of stuff. So... Um, I think we can still do better too. 
to talk to golfers and encourage them to encourage public golf. I mean, everyone who's a member of a great golf course around Australia should go back and play a public track and just remind themselves what it's like. And I'm sure a lot do, mm. but it's a great reminder. But then it's a great reminder of maybe I can do something to help someone. You know, if if you're a member at a top club in Sydney and you work with someone young who says, oh, yeah, I think it'd be good to get into golf for business purposes – Take him to play the Australian New South Wales or the Lakes. They'll quit pretty quickly when yeah. it's their first time. You take him to Woodville. You, you couldn't lose a golf ball really until the last hole when the water's there. So there's enjoyment factor. And when it's dry in the summer, oh, you, you could bunt it round and, <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd actually play better golf. So it's a, I think within golf and within the golf media, we can do a better job of talking about it. Um, but I think we need to be getting it out, and that's probably falls to the organisational bodies who run the game and their support of it. Um, you know, someone like Sandy Jamison is doing great work, but Sandy's also talking into an echo chamber mm. because people on Twitter don't follow Sandy who aren't golfers because all he talks about is golf. That'd be boring as if you've got nothing to do with golf. So, you know, trying to work out how they can leverage those messages and probably leverage the message of people like Sandy to a wider audience is is how you would do it. Um, but there is examples where uh, public places are doing a better job of engaging the community. Logan and I also went to Marrickville on Sunday afternoon because we're both sitting around with nothing to do and we went out there and, you know, they closed the first hole there for the jazz on the green or whatever on, at 3 o'clock on a Sunday. There was a football club having their end-of-season function there where they were giving out awards and I think they'd played golf before. There was a christening in the clubhouse of all these people who know. Healthy mix, isn't there it? Was, the car park was <laughs> The car park <laughs> was shockers. You know, there was people everywhere and then there was people all over the golf. There was older guys playing on their own. There was a group of younger guys behind us. There was people, there was dog walkers going through, a lady riding a bike down the 17th fairway that That's looked hard. like hard work. Yeah. You're, not, um, you're not disappointed if you miss the first hole at Marrickville. No, uh, that's <laughs> not. We got there and they said, oh, the tee's up a little bit today yeah. because there's cars in the car park and I've never been happier in my life. <laughs> that's fine yeah. with us. But, yeah, yeah, I think there is clubs that do that and then maybe getting that message. fantastic example, actually, uh, Getting that yeah. message out about it. I mean, when I first went there with uh, one of these two guys, I can't remember who, but and wrote a, a column about it, we got a lot more feedback on it. So, you know, we can do better about talking about those things and, and sharing it, and then hopefully that message gets to a wider audience. The golfers themselves have a responsibility, do we not, like, to promote the game? It's what it's going to come down to, isn't it? Particularly in the media environment. We've just You are far more likely to read a story in the Sydney Morning Herald about closing nine holes at Moore Park mm-hmm. than you are about the joy that Woodville Golf Club brings to the social golf club at the tavern there and, by extension, the people around them. That's true, and it starts from little things like going and having a game of golf at a mm-hmm. public course. The, uh, and I don't – I mostly don't care about where I play as well, and I made the comment to and Jimmy. Or who you play with, obviously. <laughs> I made the comment to Jimmy on Sunday that playing Marrickville is – the experience of hitting a golf ball is pretty much the same everywhere, and having a game around Marrickville is sort of like 95% the same experience of playing – some private parkland course in Sydney um, where, you know, you're you're still looking down at a ball and trying to hit golf shots and the shot values that it's asking you to to execute are much the same uh, and the turf conditions are a little bit different. Marrickville's actually pretty sporty, isn't it? There's some good fun holes at Marrickville that that no golf course architect would ever design but that are a hoot to play. That's right. And it's nice to walk around a pretty place. Yeah. And there's some golf courses in Sydney that aren't great from a strategic point of view, but they're very pretty and they're a nice place to be. Bondi is a wonderful place to play golf. Oh, yeah. Bondi it, golf absolutely. Course. We can talk about Bondi. But I, f- I think you can find something 
there's these extraordinary holes that we talked about for a start. Like every public course in Sydney has some fever dream of a hole, <laughs> which is just ri- absolutely ridiculous. Like the 18th at Woodville was insane. What's the pass through at Lane Cove that's... That's the fever dream. I want to cross that chasm. Yes, the yeah. exactly. You look down in there and think, oh, we'd never. Well, Lane Cove got, has like, the two green situation yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, there was two tough. of those holes at Lane Cove. Mm. And, yeah, so that's always an experience. Like, if, it's a challenge. There's some extremely challenging golf spots you can be asked to play. 18th? Yeah. It's the par well, 5, 401. 401 from par the tee. But you've got to hit. For, for someone who hits at a decent distance, you've got to hit four or five iron off the tee or you've just got to take it on because the neck between the edge of the trees and the water is probably 10 paces wide. <laughs> and, and then so, a dog leg's left, it goes it, uphill. Like, it's it's a serious golf hole. Well, yeah. if you lay up, you're, you're dead for your second. Yeah, Even if you hit a good one, you've got to hit a snap hook yeah. to get it around the trees. <laughs> and, and that yeah. little neck, if you've pulled off the perfect drive, that little... Ten meter wide neck is actually a swamp at the moment. Yeah, like, that's it's, right. It's, it's yeah, like a hidden swamp underground. Yeah, like, and yeah. Anyway, it, and you can't see the green from there. It's very, very difficult. Speaking hole. of quirky holes, the sixth at Bondi, the little par three. Because last time I played it, you can putt it. Yeah, it's about mm. seventy meters, and yeah. it's oh, down firm hill. down, and yeah. you just putt it between the bunkers, roll it onto yeah. the green. Well, Have you done that. that? Have you done it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. The old double eight oh two. That was the green you nearly <laughs> lost your nose when we were playing there last time. Yeah, it did too, yeah. I've got a feeling it's the hole where my mate's brother, Rick Fenley, who might be the worst golfer I've ever seen. He's just horrendous. Doesn't love the game. He plays it once every 10 years. But he was walking through there, and he stopped to watch somebody hit off that tee. He was down near the green. They've pulled it all. Anyway, hit him in the head, bounced onto the green, and went in the hole. Nice. <laughs> The bloke was going nuts. Gosh, a falcon, a falcon ass. It's by far the best golf shot Rick Fenley has ever been involved in, and it wasn't a particularly good shot, but it had an outstanding result. Well, look, being involved in the broadcasting side of things, obviously there's a lot going on now with Liv and and what have you, but I get told, and and we in the media get told, that the average – the average viewer, the average golf viewer around the world is still 55 to 60 years old. And obviously, with what Liv are doing, they're trying to appeal to a younger audience. Go to a public golf course versus a private golf course, and you'll see a lot Sorry. a lot younger people, yeah. uh, a group of people playing. And, and the great thing about it is no matter where you play golf, you see – such a broad, such a broad range of demographic. You see people from all walks of life of all ages, but that younger demographic is more accentuated when you go to a public golf course. I've got a theory that golf targets the wrong people in a lot of ways. You'll hear, and we had this for years in Australia, the Golf Australia and the PJ. They're only interested in young people. We want young people, we get young people playing, you know, the people in the 18 to 35 into that demographic. And it's the wrong market to target because lots of people find public golf in their teens, blokes especially, play until they're 20. Get a job, get married, have kids. Golf is just not going to be on the radar. They're the people who come back and join the fancy clubs in their mid-40s mm-hmm. and 50s when the kids have grown up, they've got some disposable income, their wives no longer want them home on a weekend because there's no kids to take to sport, and they come back to golf. We just don't target them at all. We offer free membership or free, free, you know, no joining fee golf if you're 19, 20. It's great. There's a portion of people who will play right through, obviously, where golf is just really a big part of their life. There's an awful lot that are going to miss 15 or 20 years of golf. They're, just, just they're the low-hanging fruit, aren't they? That we just don't. But that's a lot more of the same. I, I do worry that that's, that's a lot more of the same type of golfer. Like, that's people who have been privileged enough to play golf mm. probably at a private course when they were when they were kids. I, I think All the young then, people at Woodville. But I then think you go, well, I, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking from experience, but, yeah, you sort of play, play at, at a club spoon, yeah, as, as a kid <laughs> and then – yeah, through your twenties and thirties, you're very busy, and yeah. like I played a lot at 
North Ride and East Lake and Moore Park in mm. Sydney, which are like <laughs> heartbreaking tale, isn't it? Which, but, no, those those courses serve this incredible. They're the most influential courses in Sydney, mm. where because they're good golf courses, eighteen holes, and you can get on them. Yeah, and. Uh, and, and so, if you're wanting a good game of golf, those are three of the most influential courses in Australia, possibly. Uh, and then you played all of them. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and then eventually, you can uh, you know join a golf club again when you want a regular tea time on a, on a Saturday because it's just it's actually quite hard to get a tea time. Yeah, well, I, li- I live on one of the great public golf courses in Sydney at Wal- at uh, Wallara. Oh, oh, really, is Wallara. And I mean, so in, fantastic. In, in summertime, I mean, we're talking it's getting dark at 8 o'clock. People are teeing off until 7.30. Yeah. They will tee off and they'll play two holes. They'll play two, maybe three if they can squeeze it. Well, if you live down that end there, that's exactly what you do, isn't it? You'd wander up to the first tee, Absolutely. play the first yeah. two holes play and go home. home. Yeah. I mean, and hop, hop I mean, the fence that's, that's, on Sullivan Road. At, I think you need to hop the fence. There's gaps in the fence. All yeah, the yeah, there's, there's, there's gaps near the second just wander around the course there. And then you've got East Rugby club at the back. Yeah, you know you got right around the oval, don't you? You do on the sixth, I believe it is. So I assume somebody's job on a Saturday morning is to go and clear all the golf balls off the oval before they play footy, because you can imagine how many balls end up there. They've got that line of trees, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's really much. in play. Well, we were talking about the first at Northbridge yesterday as well, which plays around an oval yeah. as well, and they had a big soft net up there when I was a kid, and the play was used to just pump driver into the soft net because it'd throw it back <laughs> onto the fairway because it was it was as narrow as the 18th at Woodville where it turned around the corner. <laughs> so trying to thread a driver down there was stupid. So you used to pump it in the net, it'd come back down, you have a little flick wedge That's in. called a Fenley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly right. <laughs> you get the bounce that's it was, favourable. It was a great way. It was like playing bumper pull. Well, we've kind of started, and I did want to come to this, Ewan. So, quirky holes. We've talked about this with Logue before about how public courses come to be. They're not designed by the likes of Clayton and Tom Doak and these sorts of people. Somebody at the council has been told, we need a golf course, go and lay it out. And it almost always leads to something, at least one amazing golf hole. Tell us about some of the, we've discussed some of them, some of the quirky holes you've come across and some of your favourites. Yeah, well, I mean, I think... I think that's the great thing about these public golf courses is they do tend to have one or two of those holes that really are memorable and, and you can play them a number of different ways. And we mentioned the par three there at Bondi that you can putt onto the green. The hole before that, the par four with the stink pot. Mm. Oh, um, the hill, yeah. You've got to drive around the only par four on the course. There's another one at Lane Cove where uh, where we played, Jimmy, that was, that was drivable. It was about 240 or 250. It might be the second last hole. And I pulled out your Wilson Staff Blade one iron. Nice. But you've got to hook it about 40 or 50 metres. That's one of the holes hit the with green. two greens as well. That's right. So there's one that goes up into the left and one that ah, goes down right, to the right. right. Yep. And the one up to the left is much better hole. But yeah, A little Pine Valley-like in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the similarities are uncanny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always think the stink pipe hole at Bondi is like the mirror reflection across the Pacific of 17 at Cypress Point. <laughs> Like instead of the little stand of you got the little stand of cypress trees at Cypress Point in the seventeenth there with the narrow uh, path through the right and the safe path on the left. Yeah. It's just the same with the stink pipe at yeah. Bondi. You've got you know for those who don't, there's a sewerage works at the top of the hill like Bondi <laughs> yeah. there, which is where the golf course plays up to, and there is of course what they call a stink pipe, where all the gases are sort of released, which is sort of just short of the green, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. No, it's about it's, it's hundred and something meters short of the green. Yeah, yeah green. but it's it's in very much in play. From I've seen state. a lot of drivers. Um, bang off it. There's no we, advantage at all to go to the right of the stink pipe, by the way, but you can. The, it just um, brings the cliff into play. You mentioned it, the six that well are around the rugby club. I mean, if you're a long hitter and you're going for the green there, you are hitting it straight over, over the rugby the field, field. Yeah. Over, over the people playing rugby. Uh, the second at Bardwell Valley, once you get it over the hill, that fairway camp is fairly 
hard from left to right. So you hit a good drive up there, even with a little bit of a draw. When that ground's firm, you've got no chance of hitting it on the fairway and everything inevitably runs down to the fourth fairway. So everyone's in trouble hitting the second into four going the other way. Just, it, it's an great architect holes. would come and fix that, yeah. wouldn't they? <laughs> well, <laughs> they did it at Olympic. <laughs> There's a similar it. hole at Olympic, is there not? Where you, I remember watching in the 99 US Open when Payne Stewart said, nobody hit the fairway. Yeah, there was just right. this section of rough that had just been gapped oh, clear. Um, first at, first at Gordon. Yeah, it's about 310, 320, it's drivable, but you will only drive it if you can hit your three or four iron that far because you are not allowed to hit a wood off That's the That's exactly right. Five I think five iron off is max Might club. be the max, yeah. Oh, 11 at Carilla. Dog See, le- now he's n- got le- a, a dog, <laughs> dog leg left par four. If you drive the green or you make a hole in one in that hole, you're out of bounds because you can't go left of the creek, which runs about 40, 50 short of the green because there's houses left. It's outstanding. What there's Palm Beach has got a par three, I think, with a tree right in the middle of it. Yeah, I'm not mistaken, like that. Yep. that you've got to hit over. Yeah, that's yep. one of the courses I haven't played. Oh, it's okay. on but the to do list. They've done a bit of work at Palm Beach, so I haven't been there for a long time. But like, I mean, the fifth at Northbridge, the one straight, oh, straight down, down the hill. The hill. Yeah. As a kid, I remember like you're struggling to get it in the air. That's the greatest yeah. confidence boost of all time because you can cold top it and hit it on the green. You get vertigo, and then you've got the great too. little. Steel fence. I don't know if it's still there with the slight roof that you're supposed to stand under if you call people up. <laughs> like that sort of stuff at public golf is great. Like we, there was a hole at Woodville yesterday that shortish path. Oh, I think it's shortish. I can't remember. But it had a net behind it to protect the houses. And we're joking Not about the, the hedge. No, we're joking about the lines off the tee. And I said, oh, you got to hit it straight at that pole. And the pole was right behind the middle of the green. Like it was, it was great. There was an aiming point. Well, there was the aim it at the S in you super cheap auto. Hours where you can climb up and look over the hill before you hit off at public golf too, don't you? That sort of thing where yeah. you sort of yeah, climb up exactly. there and see if anybody's still there. Bells to ring when yep. you've hit the, yep. when you've hit your shot. So the people behind know. Yep. It's real golf, isn't it? You know, in so many ways. It's, well, absolutely. I mean, Holes like five at New South, the first at the lakes, these these fantastic 14th architectural at, 14th holes. 14th at Woodville with the great reveal as you're coming over the Absolutely. hill. Absolutely. <laughs> Seven numbers of congressional life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Seven numbers of congressional life. This is a fantastic game. We're <laughs> you know, like, public golf holes in Sydney and comparing them to the great courses. One, the at, one at the lakes, five at New South. They are fantastic architectural holes with beautiful views and they're, and they're memorable. They're, they're holes that you take photos of and selfies on the top of the hill at the fifth at New South. But as far as playing the hole and enjoying the hole. I I love the holes that we've just mentioned. They're quirky in their own right. I love pulling out the, the blade one iron or the putter off the par three, and they're the ones that stick out for me as much as what five at New South does. And let's, let's be honest, five at New South, that can be painful because you can stand there hitting three or four off the tee, missing the fairway each time. And is that fun compared to the, the those public holes that we've mentioned? I don't know. I mean, they're all they're, they're all they've all got their own sort of role to play in the game of golf. If it's into the wind, five at New South Wales can actually just be a brutishly horrible experience. Yeah. And, it, and once you get over the top of the hill, the, the view and everything is amazing. There's not a lot actually happens down that end of the fifth hole. You it's can hit putter from the top of the hill to yeah. the end, yeah. yeah. Watch Terry Price hit a bunt sandwich in there playing downwind one yeah. day, and I don't think he could hold the green. I think it went over the back. I think, I think oh. what you were talking about too with the you know hitting putter and whatever, There's when you go and play these courses, you naturally just start to do that sort of thing. Would I mean, you do that? At Cypress Point. No, exactly. That's so. <laughs> I, I mean, I took persimmons and blades out yesterday, and great fun. And then I remember playing with Logue and Michael Green from Aussie Golfer at Botany, 
And we played one whole one club challenge where we all hit six iron. I made birdie on a par four with just hitting six irons. I, I, I hit some of the best shots I'm of my breath. life because I was having fun and I was doing stuff that I did as a kid, you know, having to grip down on it and hit a different shot. I'd never do that if I was playing the lakes or something like that. I, my, my dad was a member at Botany for 30 years and I will still swear that the first hole at Botany is the hardest fairway to hit in Australia by mm. a long, long way. Jimmy hit it straight into the fence on the left there and lost right. his wallet as well as part of the deal. <laughs> yeah, I did lose my wallet. There. <laughs> some story <laughs> some people found around. it and I had to drive back to Botany the next day from Newtown <laughs> to pick up my wallet. Yeah. It's outstanding. There was so the group, the group on, directly the behind us. Well, What's you've got the road probably five metres left. Botany Road, five metres left of the Botany fairway. Botany Road. Botany Road. It's not the fairway. The tee points you at the ninth tee about 20 metres right of the fairway. There's there's the tree line off the left side of the tee that basically it's it's supposed to stop the balls from going on the road, but like I said, it points you well right of the fairway. There are no warm-up facilities there, so you're standing on the first tee cold, cold. Um, and the fairway itself is only 10, 12 paces wide. So it's, a bit it's, of a containment mound on the right, and it's it's long hole too, no, isn't it's 400 it? Like you've got to get it forward. away, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> You, you won't find you won't find that at any of your doke sevens, will you? Eh? Well, so many yeah. of these public courses open with the hardest of holes. I mean, yeah. Marrickville we're talking yeah. about is brutal. Lane Cove, that par three that sort of mm. bends yeah. a bit right around oh, the tree, absolutely. And, yeah. and as Ports found out, you've got you know tree branches in your backswing. Sometimes it's like it's they're, they're brutal. You've teed start. it up in the most logical place, and then <laughs> yeah, you, just yeah, hit, a, right. hit a tree branch in your backswing. Yeah, <laughs> outstanding stuff. Outstanding yeah. stuff. Uh, what do we learn from all of that? Ewan, what have you sort of learned? What surprised you about going on this journey, perhaps? Uh, how much I've fallen in love with the game of golf again. Um, Opposed to the professional game, which is a very different thing, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. And look, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that it's been nine years now since I've played on tour, but if I went back on tour now, I'd, I would have a different mentality, but there's no question that I would probably fall into some of the old habits of becoming not completely obsessed with the game, but... You know, I'd go home at night and wonder why I was hitting a few left and wondering- It's your job, you know, about, it? you about, it's, it's, it's your job. You, yeah. you kind of have to obsess over it a little bit versus I don't care too much at all now. Um, of course, I, I never like to play poorly. I don't think anyone really does, but I've really, really- I really just enjoy playing the game of golf again. I enjoy the camaraderie out there with, with my friends when I go and play, and it's, it's really just as simple as that. I, I don't want to overanalyze it or overthink it too much. I started playing golf when I was young because- I got a kick out of playing golf, and I enjoyed it. And that's You've that's what's happening now. Back yeah. to that. And how well are you playing? Do you reckon? Hard to tell when you play with monkeys like these. I, guys, I mean, look, I don't oh. really, I don't really, I don't really keep score too often. No, no, no I know um, that. But, but you know yourself well, how, whether you fa- hit it well, fairly well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say from a, from a technique standpoint, I think my technique's probably almost better now than when I played on tour. Of course, the short game isn't as isn't as uh, fine tuned, but I, I I rarely shoot over par. Most of the time, I'm around par or or just under, and uh, yeah, it's it's Beat playing proper golf. Yeah, and you're doing it with old gear now. Is there anything in that? Could golfers learn something from going back and playing old equipment? We occasionally see some of the tour pros for a bit of sport doing it. Is there anything in that? Harder to hit? Oh, no question. Um, I remember last year I played, and I mentioned it to Jimmy yesterday, I played Royal Melbourne last year with Jeffrey Guan and uh, Kai Komulainen, who were- They can play. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I used the retros around Royal Melbourne, which, by the way, Royal Melbourne uh, West is probably the best yes. golf course to mm. use retro equipment yeah. on. Mm. Um, it's how the course was designed back mm. in the day. But, you know, Jeffrey and Kai, two of the most talented young players in the world, and, uh, you know, they were really struggling with the persimmon woods. 
um, and they realised that they needed a completely different, it is a different technique. technique. It's a completely different mm. technique. Hitting a wooden driver is probably akin to hitting a modern three-wood. You've got to cover it a little bit more and hit down on it and sweep it a little bit more than what you do hitting up on the modern equipment. But I would say taking a half set of old clubs out is much better practice for a young player coming out now. And it, it doesn't even have to be the old clubs, but taking a half set out um, – is probably much better practice than going and standing on a range and beating balls because you have to learn to hit different shots. You're in between clubs all the time. And I tell a lot of the kids coming through the junior sixes, do that. And a lot of them have taken that on board. Adam Scott does the same thing. When he's home, takes a half set out, doesn't like beating balls, teaches him a few different shots. Well, you're playing you didn't have a pitching you? wedge yesterday. Yeah. Oh, oh, and, I had a, and I had a pitching wedge distance on every hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that works, isn't yeah. it? That's why it works. But that's playing golf as opposed to hitting golf balls. And they're two different things, aren't they? There are a lot of people who are very good at hitting a golf ball. Mm-hmm. Some of them have got no idea how to play golf. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> Je- Je- I mean, Jeff Ogilvie said to me he finds the, the younger generation a little bit too one-dimensional. They're very, very, very talented. They've all got beautiful swings, but when push comes to shove and when it comes to crunch time on the golf course, they don't have that ability to be able to vary it up. My favourite thing that a tour pro ever said to me was Matt Goggin, who we talked we were talking to him about when he first got to the US and to the tour there, and he said, you know, you realise very quickly, talent's just the entry fee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you look around there, and you, you haven't had this most of your life, you look around and you go, they're all really good, and most of them are better than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a real awakening. You might, might have had the same thing yourself, I'd imagine. Oh, there's no question, yeah. And, I mean, I had results on the board here in Australia and up in Asia before I went to the US, but, yeah, it's, it's very eye-opening when you go over there and you see just how good how everyone many. is and how many there are. Yeah, for everyone that falls off, there's another two queuing mm-hmm. up. Jeffrey Wan, by the way, amazing player. He might be a very special son. He's at the Junior President's Cup this week. Congratulations to him. He's the only Australian, I think, in the team, but he's just been tearing it up around the world. Not to mention he's got a schedule like a tour pro. I think he's traversed the globe three times in the last four weeks, has he not? He came back to play Ports' as event. Yeah. 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 Won yeah. the junior players, came back, won the junior sixes, then back over to the President's Cup. I've not met him, but he seems like a really nice kid too. He's very grounded, level Terrific, terrific yeah. young man. Mm. Really, he, he's going places. There's no question about it. There was a little bit of conjecture last year when he was on the cover of um, one of the golf magazines here in Australia. You mean one of the, the other golf magazines? One of the other golf You're magazines in here in Australia. You're start and, uh, and a little bit of conjecture as to how he would handle that as a 16-year-old. And he's really just gone from strength to strength. What he's achieved this year, particularly by winning multiple times in the US, uh, has been quite incredible. And uh, how he does it with such a level head as well and such maturity is, is there's fantastic. A, there's a story about him in our current magazine, actually, that Mark Hayes did, yes. where he spoke to Gary Barter. He and spoke to a lot of the younger. A lot of people. And then we've got, yeah, Louis Dobler and Janice Wong and a couple others in there as well. He's but, a one special talent. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey is very, very impressive. And it's I think what you were saying about covers of magazines, it's, it's hard not to get overly excited, I think, for people and say next big thing and everything like that, which you should never do. You should let him develop and whatever. But well, you do, and it's part of it, isn't it? Correct. Nobody becomes the next big thing without going through the they're going to be the next big thing phase. Tiger would have had it lots of his life. Jordan Spieth had it. Yep. Everyone who gets there has to go through it because yep. it's part of the deal. And if you are going to be a really successful touring professional, mm-hmm. in fact, that become, the golf course becomes the sanctuary, doesn't it? Because actually what you deal with with your life is all of that nonsense. Absolutely, and it's what and it's what they naturally do well is is playing good golf. And I know this probably sounds like I'm heaping on the pressure, but Jeffrey's in at least five tour events this season, and right. I think he'll probably play a couple more. He'll win one. He'll win a Ooh. tour event this on season. On the Australasian tour. On the Australasian tour. He led WA Open earlier this yeah. year after two rounds, but uh, he'll, he'll win an event this year. That's an extraordinary uh... – well, let's talk about the six, actually, because it's doing an important job – 
if you think professional golf is important, and it is, there's a you know, there's, it's more nuanced than people might think, but it's important. Talk about the Sixers. I mean, we we had you in when you I think you've been going for about a year or two. Yeah, correct. The yeah. Podcast, yeah, and how that's grown. We talked about why you did it at the time, and I think what you're doing now is kind of a part of that. It's a yeah to get back to golf and what it is. But this is about elite golf, isn't it? It is, and it's trying to just create pathways and opportunities uh, for the young talent coming through. It, it started in Sydney, um, and it's grown to we had our first international event in New Zealand this year. We're about to release our schedule in the next couple of weeks for 2023, and there'll be a couple more international venues on that. Um, and I've got to thank Jimmy and Golf Australia Magazine, of course, for uh, assisting in promoting our, our series and our tour and, um, you know, 12, we just had our final last week at Kingston Heath. 12 professional tournament invitations on offer is, uh, it's remarkable. I remember when Adam Scott won the Aussie Junior back to back when we were juniors and he didn't even get one professional start out of it. Um, Jeffrey Guan won the Australian Junior this year. That gets him into the Australian Open. Excellent opportunity, mm. but it's one event versus getting into several. Jeffrey got in an extra four courtesy of winning last week at Kingston Heath. Now, you, you've got more opportunity to prove your talent in four events than what you do one. Um, so and the measure yourself, you and I think that becomes important, doesn't it, at a certain point, which is probably where Jeffrey's. Now you've actually got to measure yourself in playing overseas and winning in the mm-hmm. America is really important because you, you can be a big fish in a little pond, can't you? And oh, there's co- no question, you, yeah. That's right. So you've got yeah. to learn that, okay, now now how do I actually stack up against people who play for a living week in, week out? The best thing that Jeffrey's doing and will continue to do over the next 12 months is play a professional-like schedule. You reference how he went mm-hmm. from America to Australia back to America. I, I, I mean, playing 20 to 30 events a year and being and traveling like that is similar to what you're going to be doing as a pro chasing the dream. And even when you are on tour, you can be traveling all over the place. And, uh, you know, I think the way he's learning to organize his time away from the golf course as well, uh, he's he's becoming very professional at an early age. And, uh, you know, not not just Jeffrey, but seeing Amelia Harris last week and seeing Janith Wong come through the last couple of years, the talent is extraordinary. And Janith by winning last week, has earned a couple of ladies' European tour starts in Europe next year. So it's it really, at the end of the day, it's just an opportunity for these kids to not not, not just learn where they're at uh, with their ga- with their game of golf, but if they're good enough, like the two that I've just mentioned, they can really fast track their careers and avoid all the obstacles and the hurdles that may come uh, when most turn professional. You'll know that you'll know he's made it when he complains about the, it's no Pro V one <laughs> balls right. on the practice range or like the lobster isn't quite up to scratch in the players' lounge or something. When he becomes Charlie Hoffman, yeah, he gets on the start. entitlement train. That's the. Uh, I think I think one of the things about Jeffrey, where we talked about next big thing and stuff, that kind of reflected in what you were talking about with his events. It's I think rarer that you get someone identified as the next big thing now because of just how good they all are. Good how many? Like of them I've are. gone to a few of the of Ewan's events and then things like the Sandbell Invitational where there's elements and then the players series on the on the PJ Tour of Australasia. I've covered a lot of these things and watching all these juniors, it is incredible the skill level. Mm-hmm. Someone like Jeffrey where he separates himself is yeah, he does amazing things on the golf course, but as as Logan and I spoke about after the Vic Open and watching Hannah Green shop and everything she does is professional. She's there to play golf and win a golf tournament. Jeffrey's got that. Mm. He shows up and he is doing his work. He's he's not there to have a great time and joke around. I'm sure he's having fun, mm. but he's doing all that. But then so many of them are. I mean, Janice Wong is, is one I've watched a bit of and is just so impressive. She's tiny though. She's yeah, amazing the golf she plays. Like, she's tiny. And just 
gets the golf ball in the hole. Yeah. Amelia Harris is another one. I mean, yeah. Clates tipped mm-hmm. us, you and I, off to that rod when we were at the Sample Invitational. Doesn't miss a shot. No. Nah. Have you seen this kid? He said, she yeah. doesn't miss a shot. <laughs> but then the, the lists just go on and on. You know, Kai, that, that Ewan's mentioned yes. a couple of times. You've you know, posted Jai, his swing video. You're like, wow, yeah. this kid's got to go well, play the tour now. Jai picking and yep. that sort yeah. of stuff. You know, I'm, I'm getting ready to head over to the Asia-Pacific Amateur and the Women's Amateur Asia-Pacific as well. Where is that this year? Thailand. Thailand. And uh, back-to-back weeks and the list of the Australian players you go through, I mean, and you're reminded that Harrison Crowe's on the Australian team. He won the New South yeah. Wales Open last year, yeah. or this year, I should say, at the start of the year. So that's the sort of quality that someone like Jeffrey's sticking his head out from, mm. but also that the rest of them, and, you know, it's, it's Ewan's a little bit older than me, but growing up in the, golf, is, in the golf sort of system, and Ewan's age of guys was that similar sort of a thing where yeah. there was all these people that were so good. Out of Sparkle, Nitties, yeah. 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 yeah, that's right. Yeah. Water. Flanagan. Um, and, you know, it's, it's that similar sort of feeling at the moment that I've got through that and, and paying attention, obviously, to that Ash Junior Sixers tour because of our partnership. I see it more and I love doing that. You know, I cover every part of golf, but love doing that because you see these these kids coming through and it's unbelievable. And it would be remiss of me not to mention Hayden Hopewell, who won our first event in 2019, who just made the round of 16 yep. at the US Amateur and he'll be up in Thailand. Yeah, he will be, well. yep. yep. Yeah. Mm. Jai Pickens, a great Jai name, Pickens. by the way, yeah. that is like starting one or two under, I think, great with that name. Too. Yeah. Horrendous, that's fabulous name. Horrendous yeah, moustache. Oh, sorry. Is that what you said? Horrendous moustache. <laughs> Coming from you. Mine's good. <laughs> There's a real pot and kettle thing going on. <laughs> His is red and got about three follicles <laughs> of hair in it. It's, it's <laughs> what is it then, you and you've been, you've trodden the path, and I know you've spent lots of time thinking about it. What separates? Because it's not the physical ability, is it? You've all got to be good to get there. So, what do these kids need? You're giving them part of it, I think, in the experience. Mm-hmm. You don't just be good at golf overnight, do you? It's a craft that you have to learn. Yeah, I think most people, and this is relevant for all levels of golf, I think most people walk off the golf course and everyone says, oh, I should have had two better today or four better today. I did this. I left that out there. The best players in the world, and I mean Jordan Spieth is probably the best example of the last 25, 30 years, Jordan Spieth walks away from a round of golf having got the most out of it. And you need to learn how to turn a 76 or 77 into a 70. Jeffrey Guan does that as well as anyone. His talent level is fantastic, but so are a lot of players out there. It's the ability, and that's where Kai Komulain, and I'll use him as an example, I think Kai is probably arguably the most talented junior going around at the moment, but Kai still did it at Kingston Heath last week, and he'll, he'd admit to this, throws a double or a triple in there and shoots a 75, 76. Jeffrey Guan doesn't do that. At this point, and the best players learn how to really minimise their mistakes. The best players can all shoot 64, 65 when they're on. It's making their bad round not so bad. Nico Hearn, another one who yeah. did that fabulously well yeah. during his career. I'll never forget Peter seeing you, Tony. He said, it's not the good golf that separates them. It's the bad. You've got to make your bad golf better. Mm-hmm. Your good golf's always going to be amazing at this level, but your yeah. bad golf has to be better. Well, Tiger Woods did it for 25 years. Abs- absolutely. And look, Nico Hearn... Um, you know, got to top 20 in the world yeah. without winning on the PGA yeah. Tour. There's really been no one that's more consistent throughout their ca- careers than Nick. And yet he told me that out of the 25, 30 weeks he played a year, probably on average twice a year he felt like all facets of his game were pretty strong. He always felt like there was something a little off. And that's from one of the most mm. consistent players. He's a phenomenal example, Nick, and I, I've spoken to him about this and he won't be offended by it. But you look at Nick O'Hearn's swing at golf club and you do not think top 20 player in the world. So there's got to be something there for any young golfer considering an elite career. Go and follow Nick O'Hearn around a golf course because he's doing something really amazing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's those guys that always impress me so much. I remember playing, you know, quite a lot of golf with a lot of good players, and I remember going out and playing with three tour pros who were all a little bit older than me. One had won a New South Wales amateur and nearly won an Aussie amateur. One was the number one amateur in the world at a time before he turned pro. And one had a decent amateur career and then won a couple of times in Asia. And we played the Australian off the back tees in the wind. And the two guys that were the amateur stars hit better shots. The sound, the flights, everything. The other guy just got it round and I sort of was paying attention but not really. Didn't didn't do anything that made me go, oh, that's impressive. And at the end of the day, tallying him up and he'd beaten everyone by four. Wow. Because he just played the game the way it needed to be played to shoot a score. And That's it was Jordan that, Spieth, is it? You mentioned exactly Jordan. right. It's, That's it, it's managing. It's finding the right spots. Was, it's missing. That was you and an I yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was <laughs> not. I might, I might add Which to that victory. <laughs> that victory that Logue is using, you know, fully modern equipment. Not this, fully modern. It's like my driver's like fifteen years old. It's it's about <laughs> six times the size of the rest of ours. <laughs> he was carried by Ports. I'm surprised Ports could make it in here. He I wasn't too far back. He was limping. I, I, I contributed. <laughs> Several holes. And, you know. How did you know in your own personal matches you were playing against you and, like, because you like to do that, don't you? You don't let the person know you're playing <laughs> no. a match, but how were you going in your match against oh, you? No, when I'm outclassed. Oh, dear. Fantastic stuff. Well, you and how many courses you got left to do? How many are there in Sydney public courses and how many have you got left on the list? Yeah, I'm not sure how many there are, but I actually, I think I worked out yesterday before the, uh, after the round at Woodville, I thought there was going to be seven, but we worked out Wallachia Golf Club I hadn't oh. played, so- Num- uh, there's eight left in the C- Sydney metropolitan area. Um, that's to have played every single golf course in Sydney, private, public, public everything. Course, yeah, there wouldn't be any you would have missed, I would imagine. No. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, most of them are playing as a junior. But- uh, Mangrove Mountain? No. Is that too Sydney. far away? Oh, okay. No, you're, oh, you're ruling it out. It's not, in pu- it's not public. It's semi-private. Well, we get to the definition of semi-private. Well, know. okay. What's the cut-off? What's yeah. the line? Well, I'm just well, I'm just, I'm, sim- I'm simply just trying to tick off every single golf course. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's I a mean, very I- low stakes sort of ambition, isn't it? <laughs> in Sydney, like, yeah. Every, <laughs> every golf course in Sydney. That's not the sort of thing where you're going to have crowds of people coming you're not, around you're not the 18th to see you finish you're not, that. You know, it's not the top 100. It's like, oh, he's playing the, the last hole at Wallachia. Let's. Well, I, get, I can't imagine that there's many of people who would have actually done it. That's the thing. You like you you poo poo the idea, though. But like, there's. I can admire it. attitude. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> more more comfortable inside the enclosed walls right. and gated areas. That's, that's why. Exactly right. But egg on your face when the New York Times show up at yeah. Uh, yeah. Malaysia. Right. <laughs> capture, <laughs> capture the moment. <laughs> but I can't imagine there's many that have done it. No, you're right. Because a lot like you, you would have played a lot of junior golf and played most courses in Sydney. Yeah. There's a handful that they would never have got to. That's no. Well, there's a couple that I didn't play that are now shuttered, like a Casula yeah. or an Orange Grove. So that'll I'll never get the opportunity to play those. But well, maybe Orange I didn't Grove miss might out still on be two. a park. You could still knock a ball around there. I think it would be illegal, yeah. would it not? Yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? You're not allowed to run around <laughs> hitting golf balls in parks. Like, okay. <laughs> let me tell you now, it's uh, it's not on. All right. Well, best of luck with the mission. We might have to get you back in when you're finished. Thanks, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, a lot of them actually come north of the bridge. Your Bayviews, Warringahs, Avalons, Palm Beaches haven't haven't played those yet. Bayview oh, public? Oh, you're just trying to play every golf course. That's all right. Yeah, so there's no definition for you. Yeah. We're going to have a little gala day. Yeah, we're going to have a little play northern. Be- I've played all of Balgala, Avon, yeah, Avalon, Northern Beaches, right? Palm Beach. Probably most of them. Triple a triple header. In yeah. One day there. yeah. Anyway, mm. which oh. is which is like uh, that will be three of the most. Uh, 
varied nine hole rounds of golf going from Balgala yeah. to Avalon to Palm Beach. Some fever dream Could holes be, in all yeah, of those it, as well. It, you may never walk away the same. Part of the experience, that gala day, as we as we are calling it, you know, you, you, you throw in a nice lunch in there, a dinner and yeah, a couple absolutely. of drinks after mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic day. It's what it's all about. You'll see some fabulous stuff. You'll see some amazing golf. You'll see some terrible golf. You'll have the full golf experience. doesn't matter whether it's Fishers Island and, you know, the national or whatever it is, it's yeah. your gala day and it'll do. And Ports can go back to the car on each journey and change <coughs> clubs for each nine holes. Is the boot of your car a bit like Scott Hayes's garage? Yes. Is it like uh, a Yeah, it was cave? yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was he was actually trying to I'll, do deals in the car park. Because you've turned into a collector, haven't <laughs> yeah. you? You've, $30 to $50 a club. They're actually in the back of my car right now. Is that right? Oh, we yeah. might go down and have a look yeah. at them. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. You know who's heart. helped me on this uh, retro collection journey is Stephen Britton. Over in the, the US, he was Steve. He's a, he's the greenkeeper, um, Chevy head Chase. greenkeeper at Chevy Chase in Washington DC. Was at TPC Potomac. Met him there years ago when I was living there, and uh, he has an epic collection at his house. And I picked up a few over there in May this year. So, Steve, thanks, mate. Hey, I was going I was going to have lunch with him at Chevy Chase last time I was in the states in the middle of the year, but I ended up having to get on a flight. But I could have raided his gear too. One of low key world experts, maybe on Royal Melbourne's history yeah. as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We should get him on the show. Okay. That'll be our goal. Good luck with it, Ewan. Thanks, Thanks for coming so. in today. Thanks Most for having me on. Thank you, Jimmy. Looking forward to having you in every week. I can't wait. You really don't sound like you can't wait. You sound like you can wait. But anyway, you'll have to wait. Till no, I, I've leave. spent the last three days with Logue, so I'm just a little bit flat. You're yeah. logged out. Fair <laughs> enough, too. Uh, Logue, good to have you on as always. I'm full of energy from like- Because you never I'm do s- anything. sucked it all out of Jimmy. <laughs> you don't work. You don't do any preparation for the show. Of course, you're full of energy. You don't oh, use any of it. You, you play with easy-to-use clubs. It's just- <laughs> are, there any, are there even any show notes that you've got to do this week? Links to not. maybe a link to Woodville. Has Woodville got a website? Yes, it does. That's where it tells That's you that our Howard out. designed the golf course. Okay, yeah. well there you go. You better put in a link to Woodville and Golf Club shows- and the Junior Sixes. Which if yeah. people people can come out and watch, I assume the Junior Sixes. And if you, oh yeah. If you are a golfer, do yourself a favour. As Jimmy said, we all get trapped in this. Oh, you want to go and watch the very best players at the Australian Open? That sort of stuff. If you do. Go and watch these kids play. It's amazing. You'll see the quality of the golf is off the charts. They really are, yeah. Like I said, we're announcing our schedule in a couple of weeks, 15 events next year, all world amateur golf ranking events it'll right. be. So, um, Congratulations on that, stuff. by the way, yeah, mate, because it's mm. no easy feat to start something like that without the resources of the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah, maybe give, <laughs> live, build live a few pointers. Done is yeah. the, well, the kids have obviously got on board with it, as they would, because there's opportunities. But well done to you. It's been Thanks. fantastic to Appreciate see. It. And from a watching point of view, too, you get to go and see some great golf courses mm. unroped, and you're not going to be charged for it unless Ports needs to buy some new retros. <laughs> but, subsidized you know, the yeah, that was, they played 54 holes at Kingston Heath and then the Super Sixes yeah. last week. But that is a unique opportunity to see something like that and see someone that you may in 20 years go, exactly right. hey, I saw them play when they were 14. And I that- watched Mike Weir play at the Lakes eight years before he won the Masters. He was mm. in the second to last group. We followed him, and I can't remember the other two, but down the seven eight, it was like, who's this weird left-hander from from Canada? Eight years later, he's the Masters winner. Well, that's what 13, 13, I was 13 years old when I played the final qualifying for the Australian Open. It was at the Aussie the year. Greg Norman won by about eight shots. Tiger came out and played his first. 96. Um, 96, yeah. Tiger played his first international event as a pro. Mike Weir played the final qualifying wearing big glasses at St. Michael's that day, the group in front of me. Hmm. Yeah, just wow. like the guys at Woodville yesterday. Yeah. They'd be talking about they saw you and Porter go around yeah. there in 60-something. <laughs> With 1960-something equipment. <laughs> no, it was 1990s yesterday. Oh, would you have? Everything was authentic. Yeah, I was a metalhead wood, wasn't it? Yeah, you didn't have any. Yeah, down to like Daiwa underwear or something, wasn't it? Team Daiwa. <laughs> Team Daiwa, yeah. Okay. That black-headed persimmon Yamaha. 
out there that I switched to, the Callaway that beautiful Big Bertha. Big Bertha. The original that tree Big Bertha. was one of the great golf clubs in history, wasn't it? The Callaway. The oh, Callaway yeah. tree. Well, I've got the, 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 the bore through three Warbird bore through. I've got yeah. the PT bore through. Yeah. It's a Titleist. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant clubs. All in the boot of the car, $50, $60 a club. Yeah, come out. <laughs> come out now. <laughs> out That's it. Episode 117 done. We'll be back with episode 118 next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast. <laughs>